everybody. It's Allie and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, February 9th, 2020. Marriages these days. They last for six months and then everybody's moved on to the next partner. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for this. Are you ready for this? I think we need to start out our YNR chat for the week with a poll question. Should Kyle and Lola get a divorce? Is it time to jump right to divorce? Or is this just too much too quick for you? YRChat.com. That's the poll question of the week. That's the talk of the week. That's the most commented on story for the week. And I tell ya... I am not ready to just sweep under the rug Kyle and Lola's romance. I was right there for their courtship, their big, beautiful wedding. That was the best wedding we've had in years. Wayner doesn't even do big weddings anymore. And we actually got a big wedding for Kyle and Lola. I was really right there with them as they grew as a couple, but also how they were growing as individuals independently within the relationship. And now it just is gone. I, you know, I understand that the reality of soap operas is just around the corner of every soap marriage is a soap divorce. (laughs) I've been around long enough to get that, to accept that. But I don't know. Kyle and Lola were the couple that I thought should be together. But I'm not incapable of admitting that I felt that Kyle and Summer were the couple that maybe I secretly wanted to be together because maybe there's a little more hotness, a little more spice going on there. So I think YNR did a great job of setting up these dynamics. The love triangle dynamics. It was all there. And I don't begrudge YNR for choosing to switch up the couples. I think we all knew it was coming. We could all see that it, this is where it was leading. But what I do kind of begrudge of them is the speed and the sloppiness of how they did it. I mean, if Kyle was secretly pining over Summer prior to a week ago, I didn't detect it. There was absolutely no play on Kyle's torn feelings. I got absolutely no sense that Kyle was caught between his love and commitment to Lola 
And his deep abiding feelings for Summer. No, there was none of that. Kyle just came back from he and Summer's trip to San Francisco. And he announced to Lola out of the blue that he was still in love with Summer. Which Lola, in turn, decided that she always knew that was true all along. Well, if Kyle knew it, and Lola knew it, then why didn't I know it? Why didn't I know it all along? (laughs) I feel like Kyle's love for Lola is now just being thrown out the window. Summer just wins? She just decided last week that she wants Kyle and then she just wins him? See, the the other part of this story that I really don't like is the way that it worked out in Summer's favor. Like, kiss the married guy one time and he immediately divorces his wife and crawls into bed with you happily ever after that same night. I don't like that. It's a bad message. Frankly, I think it's kind of a dangerous message to be putting out there. (sighs) I could have easily been convinced that we needed a couple's shakeup. Don't get me wrong. But Y&R used a machete when they needed to use a scalpel. I mean, it's February. It's the month of love and romance and Valentine's Day. And instead, all we're getting is sadness and heartbreak and divorce. One of the other things that bothers me is the idea being brought forth that Kyle and Lola's love must not have been real. It just must not have been true after all. Well, it felt real and true to me. I think that it would have been easier to accept Kyle and Lola's breakup and divorce if Y&R had given them some real problems, not just imaginary, imagined problems. Early in the week, Kyle and Lola were still doing their same awkward dance, not knowing how to talk to each other, not knowing how to fix their problems, probably partly because I don't think they even knew what their problem was. 
I was still struggling to figure out what their problem was. At society, Summer was admitting to Theo that she kissed Kyle, secretly hoping that Theo would just tell Lola and that that would break up their marriage. But at the apartment, Kyle was admitting to Lola himself that Summer had kissed him. And now I am just still, I continue to just be so very impressed with Lola. And maybe it's because I expect her to be very immature because of where she started in the relationship. But I thought it was very intuitive of Lola and very mature of Lola in ways that I don't even think I would have been mature. But she was less worried about what Kyle had just told her and she was more worried about what Kyle wasn't telling her. Immediately she was telling him, you know, like she can accept when a kiss is just a kiss, but was this kiss more and she really started to pressure him for information. She really started to question him about whether or not this was more. And Kyle's not ready at this point to admit that there's more. So he panics and he does the same thing that he's been doing. Maybe the only thing he knows how to do. He throws Theo's name into the mix and he tries to toss it back into her court. And he blurts out in defensiveness that, well, Theo is just as much... In, inside of Lola's head as Summer is inside of his head. Which was a really mm, surprising thing for him to have said at that point. I don't think he knew what he was saying. I don't think he realized exactly what he was saying. I think he loves Lola. I want to think that he loves <laughs> Lola. But the clearly insurmountable issues in their marriage, a.k.a. Theo, and also Summer's kiss. Apparently, like, all of this happening has just unlocked something in Kyle. I, you know, I, I could have understood it if it had been stretched out a little bit more. Like, why in our just didn't give Kyle's emotions any play? Like, if what Kyle is thinking right now is that he just needs to find a way to connect with someone who can understand him and accept him and align with him, then all right, that makes sense to me. 
I don't understand entirely why that wasn't Lola. I feel like Lola was trying her best to understand him and accept him and to align with him. I don't fully get why he put all of the cards on the table and then just leaped over that table onto Summer's bones. But, okay, I mean, okay, if it had been stretched out a little bit longer, maybe I could have got there over time. I mean, why and R, just as a comparison took all of this time to really unravel uh, the, the Billy and Victoria's relationship. Their breakup seemed like, okay, well, now it's time for them to break up. But Kyle and Lola's breakup just happened in the span of a week and a half. And it's just so funny that he is realizing in, in one instant that not only does he not want to be with Lola, but that he wants to be married. He wants to be with Summer because, I mean, six months ago, let's admit, Kyle could not get away from Summer fast enough. He was married to Summer, living with her in the Abbott Mansion while she was recovering from the liver transplant that he begged and bargained in order for Summer to give to Lola. And then he was sneaking out of the house every night while he was married to Summer to go be with Lola. <sighs> Kyle was married to Summer in March. Then he was married to Lola by the following August. And now he's back with Summer <laughs> in February. What is this? The bold and the beautiful? Did Kyle happen to bump in to Liam while he was in San Francisco? Did they meet up for lunch or something? <laughs> it is ridiculous. YNR has all of this space of an hour-long soap, which is different from Bold and the Beautiful, where it's just fast play. And they just chose not to take their time. And I think it makes Kyle look bad. The Waffler is back. And he must succumb to the female in the room. Is Lola in the room? I love her. Now, is Summer in the room? Well, I love her instead. What happens in a few weeks when Kyle starts to see Lola and Theo hanging out together? Is he going to decide that he loves Lola now again? Or is he going to decide that he loves Lola now again in a month when Lola turns up pregnant with their twin babies? insult to injury of all of the places to end a marriage work at work can you believe that Kyle and Lola decided to end their marriage while she was on the clock Ugh. Ugh. it just doesn't even do justice to this couple who a lot of people liked whether or not they were your favorite couple kyle and lola had a really strong fan following i know i've been hearing from you guys all week and then just to end it in the kitchen Ugh. <laughs>
<laughs> the wait staff must have had a real field day with all of this. I mean, you know there were a couple of waiters peering around the corner like, ooh, she's getting broke up with right now. <laughs> Hanging out. All that dirty laundry right there in the kitchen. Oh, well, the whole thing started at Kyle's work. Kyle was at his work having a little meeting with his staff and calling Summer by his wife's name. Whoopsie! So Kyle goes to the restaurant to talk to his wife, knowing what he's going to find. Finding her there with Theo, of course. And he tells Lola that he'd really like to talk to her. They go to the kitchen. And I tell you, it was some of the most heartbreaking scenes that I can even recall in a relationship. I felt more affected by by Kyle and Lola having their kitchen breakup scene than by Billy and Victoria having their breakup scene, just as a comparison. I mean, Lola begging Kyle to just say what is on his mind and Kyle trying so desperately to avoid it. But then ultimately revealing that Summer is not only in his head, but Summer is also in his heart. (sighs) What an awful, awful thing to have to hear your husband say, especially when you've only been married for six months. (sighs) Lola, again, has been so mature about all of this. It's just despite the immaturity that she had shown at the beginning of their relationship, um, I, I just thought she was so just so smart. I mean, standing there realizing that this is the end of her marriage, but also taking it to that whole extra level of pain where she's realizing how her mother must have felt to realize that her husband didn't love her in the way that she deserved to be loved. I mean, we've seen Lola being so critical of her mom and of her and of that whole relationship and then to have this awakening of realizing that she's standing in those shoes. Oh! Total maturation. Total evolution of Lola's character. And yet no! Evolution. No maturation of Kyle's character. That is so disappointing. Kyle just stands there and he tells Lola that Summer just understands him in a way that Lola doesn't. And then Lola, out of the blue, admits that, well, I, you know... Honestly, Theo understands me in a way that you don't. Well, okay. Okay. I guess all of this time, apparently Lola was having feelings for Theo, even though I wasn't getting anything more than friendship. I mean, she told Kyle that she had only, you know, she she believes that 
Theo understands her in this, like, amazing way. <laughs> but that she had only opened the door for friendship with him and nothing more. Um, she told Kyle that she never would have given in, given in to any advances that Theo would have made on her. But, I mean, I guess the truth is we don't really know that. We don't really know what would have happened if those situations had been reversed and it was Theo who kissed Lola. I mean, if Theo had advanced on Lola, maybe it could have unlocked some feelings for her and in her that would have caused their marriage between Kyle and Lola big problems down the road. I don't know. I'm, I'm equally not ready to see Kyle jumping into a relationship with Summer as I am not ready to see Lola jumping into a relationship with Theo. But Theo is the one who Lola immediately leaned on his shoulder soon as, like, immediately after the breakup with Kyle, Lola's there leaning on Theo's shoulder. It's like Lola's feelings for Theo have reached this convenient quickening Oh my gosh, on the very, like, first day that her, her marriage is ending, she's, like, standing in her apartment with Mariah, and Mariah is, like, warning Lola that, okay, well, even if things are over between you and Kyle, don't go getting involved with Theo, because Theo is bad. And I mean, like, Lola's marriage... To Kyle. The dead body of Kyle and Lola's marriage is still lying on the floor warm. And Lola is admitting to Mariah that she kind of likes Theo's bad boy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I like it. I mean, at the same day, like, literally, she also went from having the kitchen breakup with Kyle into walking out into the dining room where Theo is, and she's giving him a little kiss on the cheek to thank him for his support. Thanks so much for being such a huge problem in my new marriage that I had to turn around and get a divorce six months later. Thanks for your support. <laughs> Thanks for being the solution to the problem in my marriage that you apparently caused. Jack happened upon seeing Theo being there for Lola, offering Lola physically a shoulder to cry on. And Jack did have an aside with Theo and decided to offer Theo the advice that he wished that he would have received, but knows he never would have taken at Theo's age. And Jack tells Theo to not take advantage of Kyle and Lola's broken hearts. But Theo has already scored the advantage. <laughs> course he's gonna take advantage <laughs> it was really interesting though because after that warning from jack and after his little kiss 
from Lola, giving him total confirmation that everything he's done has been right. Theo goes back to Jabal, and he sits down in Kyle's chair. And then he swings around and he grabs a photo of Kyle and Kyle's wife and he starts to kind of leer at it. And I think that in that moment, Theo was realizing that he won. That he got what he wanted. But now is the question of whether or not he really wants it. So, that's the question for us. Does Theo really want it? He won, but does he want it? Summer asked him this week uh, something to the effect of, well, if somewhere along the way of wanting to get revenge on Kyle... Did you actually develop some real feelings for Kyle's wife? And I noticed that Theo did not give an answer to that. I mean, Summer was very clear that she was hoping for Kyle and Lola to break up because she wanted to be with Kyle. But she questioned Theo a little bit and said, well, you know, you got what you wanted in the revenge department. but Did you somehow end up developing some love for Lola in the process? So as Theo is sitting in Kyle-slash-Jack's chair, and Lola is sitting in her apartment with Mariah, getting some consultation, sitting there in the apartment that she's soon just going to be alone living in. Uh, Kyle goes to the Grand Phoenix, and Kyle gets a room, because Kyle is going to need a new place to live. And as Kyle is sitting in the lobby, who should walk in to find him there? Why? It's summer, the obvious part of this equation. And when Kyle told Summer not only that he and Lola were getting a divorce, but that he still has feelings for her. I somehow felt kind of sorry for Summer. Like, it didn't feel as if it was a legitimate victory. I mean... She kissed another woman's husband and then somehow unlocked his deep-seated true love for her. And that just felt hollow to me. It just felt not good. Like, not a good win. And maybe that's what Theo was feeling also in his moments sitting in that chair at Jabot. I won. But maybe it doesn't feel good, because Lola got hurt in the process, if he does actually care about her on any level. People got hurt in the process. Well, I'm not quite sure that Summer has that same reservation. Summer takes all of this information in that Kyle has given her, and she tells Kyle that, Ooh, your marriage just broke up tonight. 
I'm going to give you some space. <laughs> Last night, he's in bed, lying there with his wife. Tonight, he's in a hotel room, flipping through the TV channels. She said that she was going to give him some space. But she did not give him some space. She was knocking on the door just a couple of moments after he checked in, handing him a care package of some fresh socks, some candy, and some liquor. You know, the essentials. (laughs) That gift bag was an excuse. That gift bag was an excuse for her to get into his room, and it felt desperate to me. As if she were just, that gift bag just felt like she was searching for some kind of skeleton key to get herself into his hotel room for what would happen next. Summer was hoping that Kyle wouldn't let her leave. And Kyle didn't let her leave, did he? Nikki fills in Victoria about Billy's arrest. Even shows Victoria the picture that Victor had taken via the private eye of Billy and Amanda having drinks together at the Empty Glass. And Victoria takes this information and she decides to confront Amanda. I really loved that scene because the subtext, too, was that... Victoria showed up at that Grand Phoenix Hotel, and Victoria had Amanda's room rang and said, this is Victoria Newman. I'd like to have a talk with you. (laughs) Because that whole series of scenes opened up with just Amanda coming downstairs from the elevator with this look on her face like she knew what was coming. (laughs) So the thing I almost appreciate more about that scene was the part we didn't see. You know, I think it's very unfair for Victoria to put any or all of this on Amanda. At the same time, I do understand that Victoria only knows what she knows. Billy, all of a sudden, started spending a lot of his time with another woman. And then he walks out on her and the kids. So, if I'm Victoria, I'm thinking... Where there's smoke, there's fire. I get why she's coming from where she's coming from, but we're omniscient. And I've seen Amanda's actions through all of this. And I think that Amanda has acted completely appropriately every step of the way. How is Amanda supposed to know that Billy is a walking wound? She only knew what Billy told her. She didn't know that this is not the first time that he's been spinning down a spiral, but Victoria told her that. And (laughs) Victoria also warns Amanda to stay away from Billy. But I think it's pretty clear that Billy has other plans. 
Billy is trying his best to embrace his new life and lifestyle and figure out what it is that he wants now that he knows what he doesn't want. And Billy stops by Jack's office with his big old black eye and swollen lip because he wants to, like, fill in his big brother about his newest epiphany. I I can't help but also see it from Jack's perspective. Um, I mean, you know, Billy walks in looking like how he looks. He was talking a month ago about his epiphany, and it involved sunsets and relaxing with Victoria and the kids. And now here he is just a little bit down the road, and things aren't looking quite so good. I mean, I'm not... I'm not really even sure what type of reception that Billy was expecting walking into Jack's office looking like that. Look at him! He is physically a mess. And it's so obvious that that translates to what's going on on the inside. But I don't even think Billy sees himself from the outside. I think that's part of his problem. He has an inability to see himself from the outside. Um... Billy just lays down the law with Jack, informs him that he has left Victoria, he's left the house, and that he is on a brand new journey of self-discovery, and that Jack doesn't get to tell him if that's right or that's wrong. And that's fair. That is fair. Jack's response to Billy, I think, was also fair. Jack said, okay, you're going to do what you're going to do. I guess I'll be here to bail you out when it doesn't work out for you again this time. Now, if Jack's reaction had been that way on the very first time that Billy was trying something like this, I would have thought, "Mm, Jack, how about a little support? Because by saying what Jack said, it made Billy feel unsupported by his brother. But this is not the first time that Billy has come into Jack's office with all of this. This is not even the first decade that Billy has come to Jack with all of this. And see, now, here's the thing. Jack has been bailing Billy out for years. I'm sure, from Billy's perspective, some of those bailouts didn't feel like bailouts, but he was trying to help his brother in the best way that he knew how. Jack was trying to get together money to cover Billy's gambling debts and to get him out of, like, Myanmar prison. (laughs) I think Jack was trying to help his brother in the only way that Jack knew how. And I guess that's not what Billy wanted. I guess that wasn't his version of support. But here's the thing. Here's the essence of it all. You can't expect someone's unwavering support for every decision that you ever make, but also expect them to participate in cleaning up the spills, right? I mean, when it doesn't go your way and it's a big old mess, you have to be the one to clean it up. 
You can't expect somebody else to do it. You can make your own decisions, but you have to be prepared to accept your own consequences. And the real key here, the real character key here for Billy is, is he can do whatever he wants, but is he ready to accept his own consequences? And in this case, those consequences also happen to involve Victor Newman. Anything that involves Victoria Newman will inevitably involve Victor Newman. Billy goes out to the ranch to see his kids. Something that he has full right to do. I just can't believe he was going to go out there to see the kids with the full black eye and bloody lip. Like, that's a great idea, Billy. Let's scar them permanently, why don't we? (laughs) I have no problem with him seeing his kids. I just don't think he really needed to let his kids see him in that way. Well, Victor or Victor puts a block on Billy's visitation, a, a place which Victor has no room to do. He has no say in whether or not Billy sees his kids, but he tries to find a say vis-a-vis Victoria. Victor tries to encourage Victoria to not let Billy have a whole lot of contact with the kids or her or anything else. Victor just wants Billy to vanish. That is true. Then, Victor tells Victoria that he actually has proof that Billy and Amanda have been secretly meeting, not just at the bar, but that they've been meeting in a motel room, too. He has proof. He has motel room receipts. Proof? Huh? Well, I think that proof was falsely provided to Victor by his private investigator. And I think that whether that private investigator and that proof was somehow influenced by Ripley Turner. I don't think that Victor is lying to Victoria. I don't think this is part of a Victor Newman master plan. I don't think that he just falsified motel receipts so that he could show them to Victoria and put the final end to her marriage to Billy. Victor is in the middle of a character transformation. He is, like, boxing it up with Victoria every single day now, pumping her up, giving her lots of love. There is no way that Y&R is going to spin this now in the direction of Victor straight up lying to his daughter, making Victoria think that there was an affair just to make sure that that relationship is broken beyond repair. No. I don't think that's it. 
Now, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a precedent. I'm not saying that Victor hasn't done something equally as awful in the past. I'm just saying that I don't think that YNR is going to do that now. Not right now. Um, I think that there's no way, after seeing what Victoria went through last year and everything, the the way this story with Billy is being viewed, they are not going to have Victoria be betrayed by both Billy and Victor right as the Newman Enterprises anniversary celebration is coming up, especially. You guys, we are getting ready to have a three-day-long Victor Newman Love Fest to celebrate Eric Braden's 40th anniversary with the show. There are going to be three Victor full freaking episodes. February 18th, 19th, and 20th. <laughs> YNR needs you to love Victor Newman right now. YNR needs you to love Eric Braden right now in order to pull this off. They are not going to bring Eric Braden back for a short story where he's a jerk betraying his own daughter by lying to her about her relationship and then expect everybody to jump on board for the 40 years celebration of Victor Newman? No. It's not that he wouldn't do something like this for a character perspective. It's that YNR wouldn't do something like this and foil their celebration of Eric Braden. My other clue, that Victor doesn't know that the information he's giving Victoria is false, is that Ripley Turner has got to be the one behind this because look at who it's hurting most, Amanda. Billy and Victoria were already over whether or not this motel receipt thing happened. Billy walked out on Victoria. The person who's getting hurt by this whole motel room receipt thing is Amanda. Amanda is now realizing that she is Genoa City public enemy number one. And now it's not just about Devon's money. Now it's about Victoria having announced in public that she was having an affair with her husband. And that news started spreading across town quick, too. Phyllis knew all about it in a matter of, like, five minutes. And Phyllis was up in Billy and Amanda's face about it. Everybody knows now. This motel room secret doesn't affect Billy and Victoria as much as it affects Amanda and Amanda's reputation. Amanda's reputation has suffered because of this whole rumor. And is it a coincidence that Amanda's reputation is suffering because of this rumor right as Ripley Turner is making his entrance? An entrance which, by the way, was uninvited? Victor's not the villain here. Ripley is the villain. Victor's the red herring. Ripley shows up in Amanda's hotel room immediately following all of this drama. He talked the housekeeping staff into letting him into her room, and then he's standing there, touching her belongings, looking at all of her stuff. Ew! There's no planet on which that's okay, and he knows it. And yet he's standing there, Acting like it's no big deal. She walks in, finds him there, questions him about it, and he's all apologies and excuses and saying that he's a changed man. 
and he's gone through therapy and he's gone through anger management courses and so he only broke into her hotel room so that she'd give him a chance to talk please that is insidious right there if anything is insidious she had a right to be worried about him validated amanda's fear of ripley turner has just been validated to us the audience Oh, and she most certainly did give him that opportunity to talk, didn't she? She was standing there, clutching her cell phone the entire time, but she was almost too frozen to to make the call. Ugh, just almost she was standing there like a, a, a piece of ice. Like she knew that help was right there in her hands, but she just couldn't move. It's like a nightmare where you're frozen or something. And um, that's why uh, I think when Billy came knocking out at the door, as she's alone in this hotel room with Ripley, Billy comes knocking at the door, and that knock and hearing Billy's voice just thawed her out like immediately. And I felt that was so, so real. I have felt that frozen fear. And I have felt that feeling of calling out for someone that you know. And I was just so happy when she did it. I was so relieved for her when she flung open that door, said, Billy, don't go. Flings open the door. Billy comes in. Billy assesses the situation, asks Ripley to leave, which he does. But again, with this sort of insidious air. And actually, Billy and Amanda call Ray to file a a police report considering the fact that Ripley's friendly little just wanted to break into your room to talk to you thing violated her restraining order. Oh, you know, I like this story and I like that we're getting some more color in between these lines, because in retrospect, I'm realizing what a jerk move it is where she files a restraining order and he files one back. You know, I think that says everything that needs to be said about him. It's childish. It just it gives me an idea of his frame of mind. She felt harmed by him, and it didn't matter what she told him. This restraining order came after many conversations, many other uh, ways that she probably tried to get away from him. The restraining order was probably the final straw. He wasn't listening. He didn't care. She had to seek intervention to save her own life from him. And his response to that is, well, yeah, I'll just file a restraining order against you too. Okay, Ripley, I get you. I get who you are. You're no longer going to stand there and look all innocent and sad with me. I don't trust you because that is a whole nother level of controlling. But the other thing that really set me over the edge was Amanda having the conversation with Billy where she opened up about her frame of mind when it came to her relationship with Ripley and the gradual ways that 
you know, she, her line got pushed until the point where she realized that she was in an emotionally abusive relationship. She found him to be so charming at first, and she loved his attention until the attention started slowly growing more to be more encompassing like to the point where one day she woke up and she realized that he had total control of her at home at work even over her phone this is a very real story for a lot of women and of a lot of women i think a a stalker story like this would have been really interesting to watch from A to Z. It almost feels like YNR was kind of headed in that direction with Mariah's stalker, that maybe we were going to get a stalker story. And, like, they had that written in their notes, and they trashed the whole thing with Mariah, but decided, hey, you know, this is a good, we'll, we'll do a little something with this whole stalker thing. But it would have been great to watch all those steps that she was describing. You know, I mean, just the little ways that you get there from, you know, from A to Z. I feel like we're stepping in at X. You know, like there's an A to Z and we're already at X with the soccer story, which is disappointing. It's another place where I feel like YNR could have stretched. And I say that we're at X because I kind of wonder if Y and Z are going to be Billy saving Amanda from Ripley and maybe even accidentally killing Ripley in the process. I don't know. Amanda has said more than once that Ripley was never physically abusive toward her. But what if Y and Z that we're witnessing now are his final straw? What if this is just the evolution of him getting, you know, he's he's past the emotional abuse. Maybe he's getting to, uh, let's say that's Y. Y is him getting physically abusive and Z is Billy killing him. That's what I think anyway. And that's okay. I mean, you know, that's all right. I would. I kind of think Billy helping Amanda will go a long way for me. I would love to see Billy being the hero, especially after he's been being such a zero. I mean, it was nice to see him lying, like camped out uh, by Amanda's bedside because she, after Ripley broke into her hotel room, she was so afraid that he was going to come back. So Billy just camped out there to help her feel safe. I do kind of wonder if YNR is starting to pull back on the idea of Billy and Amanda having any kind of romantic relationship, though. Because I thought it was odd that all of a sudden Nate seems to be back in Amanda's picture. Like, out of nowhere, Nate is in Amanda's orbit. They're friends again. They're having coffee and talking. Like, is Nate going to maybe help Amanda out instead? Is Nate maybe going to fall in love with Amanda in the process? He's got to be. That has to be for a reason that all of a sudden Nate's being friendly with her. Or are they just tossing him into scenes to give him something to do? I don't think so. There was some light flirting there, right? I mean, there was a scene where Nate was talking to Amanda and reassuring her about her reputation, that she didn't do anything wrong. If she says she didn't have a motel affair with Billy, then he believes her. And 
she was musing about why on earth Nate would be single. Why is he single? How's he single? Well, I mean, Amanda had a chance to be with him. She kind of had a chance to date him. It seemed like Nate and Amanda were going that way. And then Amanda shoved Nate into the friend zone and started hanging out with Billy instead. Man, I don't know. I kind of wish that Amanda and Nate would hook up. I could kind of see it. I and I honestly, I kind of think that Amanda and Nate would be way hotter than Elena and Nate. And frankly, every single week that goes by that Nate is not in a love story is becoming a bigger and bigger damn shame. Ooh, it's a bad week for Mariah. <laughs> Devon has announced that he is shutting down power communications, which is kind of fine with me because that means that I never have to say the name power communications again. <laughs> it is the worst company name ever on a soap. It is so cheesy. Don't tell us your power. Show us your power. And they never showed us the power. That company... It needed to go. <laughs> Boring. Is this the first and only sign that we have seen of Devon having money troubles? Is, it, is, is he having money troubles at all due to the fact that he got fleeced of over $2 billion? I mean, he didn't even mention that when he was talking to Mariah. He didn't mention Colin. He didn't mention anything about losing his, his money. He just said that Hamilton Winters wasn't doing well as a business overall, and so he had to make some cuts. Why would they not tie that in to Devon losing his personal wealth? I mean, they've given us no sense of Devon having lost that money. So what's it matter if he gets it back? <sighs> Why should I care if he has no reason to care? <laughs> that has got to be the worst story. Devon losing his money. Uh, I suspect that Devon has been too busy doing hanky-panky with Elena to get any work done. And that is why he is having to make the cut of power communications. Did you see that big old hickey on his neck? <laughs> what was that all about? If you did not see Devon's big old hickey, go to yrchat.com because I screen capped it. Who still gets hickeys these days? In this day and age, really? Hickeys? <laughs> I don't know if that's what it was, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> Ah, well, no more power communications means no more Mariah job, which means no more Tessa's management company. It's just pushing these two further and further away, isn't it? Giving them less and less reasons to communicate, isn't it? 
Tessa's not, Mariah's going to be out of a job. Tessa is going to not have representation. But it's a good thing that Tanner's people are clamoring to sign her and represent her. I like that Tessa seems to be above, above reproach in all of this. She was calling Tanner out a little bit just to make sure that he wasn't holding out any hope that they're going to hook up. <sighs> he denied it, but I think we all know that Tanner wants to hook up with Tessa. And Lindsay wants to hook up with Mariah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lindsay is real happy to be right there offering Mariah some drinks and a shoulder to cry on. It's funny that Mariah is warning Lola to not let Theo become a shoulder for her to cry on, but Lindsay is real quickly getting up there about to be a shoulder for Mariah to cry on. And didn't Lindsay even this week tell Mariah that she had a nice smile? What a flirt. <laughs> that is flirting, Mariah. Maybe she's just not picking up on it, but, I mean, Mariah and Lindsay were sitting there at the bar watching... Mariah's music video that she made for Tessa and Lindsay was propping Mariah up all about how talented she is. She's sure that Mariah is going to get another job soon. I mean, what motivation does Lindsay have here if she doesn't want Mariah? I don't know. Either way, Lindsay, she either wants a big tip or she wants a big tip. And I don't know what that means, but it sounds salacious. Sharon has been retreating into herself really ever since she found out about the cancer. Sharon has had such a hard time with just the idea of accepting help. And she's not even to the point where she needs the help yet. And... It culminated this week in a series of nightmares that she had on the night before her first chemo treatment. And I really thought the nightmare episode was very good. Um, th there were so many visual elements there. There were so many story elements there, character elements there. Um, the nightmares felt to me like uh, this bizarre crossover stylistically with like, it was like a Christmas Carol meets The Wizard of Oz meets The Twilight Zone. You know, it was like a Christmas carol, like, I'm going to take you on these alternate versions of your life's uh, trajectory, and then meet sort of like the Wizard of Oz. Even like the point where Sharon stepped out into the front porch and the wind was blowing in her hair, and it was like, she just got sucked up into a Wizard of Oz tornado. And then at the end, by the way, she's seeing all of the people and saying, you know, I knew it was you, it was, um, this was my home all along. And then even in the Twilight Zone, like when Mariah was hosting, 
hosting the GC Buzz segment, and they were filming Mariah from the side. That was giving me a Twilight Zone, um, which is apparently a CBS property now, or a Sony property now, uh, since they rebooted that series. So I was, like, getting all of those very, um, uh, it wasn't really horror, I would say, but there were parts of it that were very scary. Um... Yeah, it felt like nightmares. And and the fact is, there is a lot for Sharon to be legitimately afraid of. Her, her doctors have reassured her that she has a very good chance of beating this. But, you know, I mean, even though we, the audience, strongly suspect that Sharon will beat this. I mean, in, in reality, there are no guarantees. And... Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Sharon worries about how, even if she does beat this, how will it affect the relationships in her life? How will it affect the way that people see her? Um, How will it affect the way she sees herself? And it's both emotionally and physically. Early in the week, we actually... um, uh, had a scene where, uh, with everything that Sharon has had going on in her life, we see her forgetting that she had a hair appointment. Oh, oh. And it was in that moment that she really took to heart and realized, like with all of the other things that have been going on, she realized she's going to lose her hair, her lovely, lovely hair, those blonde locks that we have seen and come to know, like as a signature of this character for decades. I mean, the fans hit the roof when she dared dye her hair dark in the early 2000s. I mean, we're we're so invested in Sharon's hair. And we realize she's, we, you know, we get confirmation that she's going to lose it. She starts to think about losing it. She ties on uh, a scarf on her head and looks into the mirror almost as if she is flashing forward into the future to see what that's going to look like. Oh, I don't care. She looked gorgeous on this scarf. <laughs> Sharon could look good in a garbage bag. <laughs> so I think she's still going to look pretty good. <laughs> Plus, hey, who says that, you know, if you're going through chemotherapy and you have cancer, who says you can't still wear leather pants? <laughs> the leather pants are what really needs to stay. In fact, I say go leather pants, leather jacket, and a paisley red bandana. <laughs> Maybe get her a little matching motorcycle. Let's go all in on this, I think. We just need to create a new look for Sharon then, and we need to incorporate the bandana. Ugh, oh, I love Sharon, and one of the wonderful things about this story is just realizing how many people love Sharon, and that there's love for Sharon being displayed even in some of the most unexpected of places. Sharon accidentally lets it slip to Phyllis this week that she has breast cancer, thinking that Phyllis has already figured all of that out, but Phyllis did not know that, uh, and she was stunned. Absolutely stunned. Yeah, I I felt more comfortable this week with the idea that Phyllis just really took it to heart. She had a a follow-up conversation with 
Nick where she told him that this is a wake-up call. And it's probably not just about Sharon, but it probably also is a wake-up call when your peers start to go through this too. I mean, there's another level of uh, of discovery on this cancer storyline. It's not just the patient. It's not just the patient's family, but it's also just like when it's someone you know, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a wake-up call about your own mortality and your own morals, too. I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I really liked that the situation with Phyllis finding out about Sharon caused Phyllis to admit to Nick that she was really only chasing after chance to make Abby jealous and that she didn't really want chance and it was good just to hear Phyllis say that because the lines of all of that had become so blurry I wasn't sure what Phyllis wanted anymore but um, not only did what happened with Sharon put, uh, cause Phyllis to put herself um, into check with her own mortality but with her own morals too and you know what what type of life does she want to live and and where does she want to put her time and her energy I think that Phyllis is in a position to really learn from Sharon right I mean there there's so much to learn from Sharon and the dynamics of that relationship have been so contentious for so long I love the idea of Phyllis learning from Sharon and I love the idea of Phyllis being someone to support support Sharon because Phyllis can do that in a totally unique way like Sharon has been asking everyone all along to not treat her any differently she doesn't want to feel like a burden or be seen as a burden or to have anybody tiptoeing around her and Phyllis was the one who actually seemed to get that Phyllis and Sharon had this very tender moment and then Phyllis went right back to barking orders at Sharon because Phyllis really understood that that's what Sharon needed. In an odd way, that's what Sharon needed and that that was her way of helping. I thought that was just such a great scene. Such a great scene there. Sharon just wants to feel normal, you know? She just doesn't want everything in her life to be upended by this. There's enough that's going to be upended. She just wants to keep some things normal. But Sharon's version of normal for the relationship with she and Phyllis, it's not the same as the relationship with uh, Sharon and Ray, for instance. I mean, Sharon can't ask Ray to bark orders at her to, you know, keep her feeling normal. That wouldn't be normal. So instead, um, Sharon's been pushing Ray away, or she's at very, at the very least, been keeping him at arm's length. She really doesn't want him to get too close. On the the night before her first chemo ther uh, chemotherapy appointment, Ray insisted on sleeping on the couch. I mean, she didn't want him in the bed. She, you know, he said, okay, fine. You know, I understand you want to be alone, but at least let me stay downstairs uh, just to be there in case you need anything. And it's a good thing that he did because Sharon actually, I think, needed to go through this series of nightmares. 
in order to come out on the other side and see the day, see the daylight, see the sun. At first, her dreams were happy. She saw Cassie, who looks so much like Mariah, it is uncanny. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh. Cassie is just Mariah, but somehow softer. <laughs> but Cassie was asking Sharon to come with her, to take her hand and come with her, almost in that ghost of Christmas past, present, future type of way. But Sharon has seen enough movies and read enough books to know that she doesn't want to walk willingly into the light. She's afraid that Cassie is going to be leading her onto the other side if she takes that hand. And Sharon is not ready to go. So instead, she has to face her fears. She has to walk through her fears to get to the other side. The fear that Ray is going to leave her because she is no longer fun and vibrant and desirable. The fear that Mariah is going to move away because she is still young and she has her whole life ahead of her. But also the fear that the fear that she won't survive, yet at the same time, the fear that if she does survive, that it will change her life significantly and it will change the relationships that she has with all of these most important people in her life. Yes. I think that the lesson Sharon learned from those dream sequences was that she doesn't want to be alone. And the good news is, in the good light of day, she isn't alone. She is surrounded by love. She is surrounded by family. She is surrounded by light. Of course Chance knows how to ice skate. He's from Wisconsin. <laughs> that Wisconsinite has got a whole lot of Texas in him. Let me tell you, most Wisconsinites do not have a strong southern Texas drawl. <laughs> oh my goodness. Chance must be from... Texas, Wisconsin. That's city and state. Texas, comma, Wisconsin. <laughs> He's from Texas, W.I. Why would they give him that line? Why would they have him say, of course I know how to ice skate. I'm from Wisconsin. Why would they do that? They know the actor has a southern accent. He has the southernest accent of anybody on the show. <laughs> The fact that they would dare have him say he's from Wisconsin is absurd. Just leave it alone, YNR. If they hadn't drawn attention to it, then I wouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> Whatever. Ch 
chance in his Texas-Wisconsin heritage, Abby in her gray <laughs> beret. What a pair. <laughs> what a pair. I actually do like them very much. I'm making uh, fun of them a little bit, but I think that they must have cast Danny Boas, who is from Texas. They must have cast him just specifically to be a match for Melissa Ordway's Abby because they looked like they should be on the cover of a romance novel. And I loved them having, you know, coming home from their ice skating. I love the idea of them ice skating on the on a lake in Genoa City. And then, of course, sneaking up to Abby's hotel room, hoping that the hotel staff does not see them getting all, you know, getting up in there, realizing that they're get all, getting all warm and cozy up under those sheets. Oh, it's so cold in Texas, Wisconsin. We better get up under these sheets and warm each other up. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Gosh, we need some fun on the show right now. Everybody else is breaking up. Chance and Abby are the are the only thing that's kind of fun and frivolous and romantic on the show right now. I hope that this lasts a while. But for you know, for me, but also for Abby, I think that Abby really needs to have some good luck in the romance department. I thought it was also, in addition to being fun, it was very poignant when they were lying in bed together, comparing scars. You know, they were physically comparing scars, but that's what you do when you get into a new relationship and you open up to one another and you let yourself be a little raw. You're comparing scars. These aren't two children. These are two adults that have been around. So, uh, yes, I, I think it's great. I think it's time for Abby to settle down with a nice boy. <laughs> like, good guy chance. Yes, I would love to see her settle down with a nice boy and maybe even make some real pretty babies. Give us a next generation of soap opera characters, finally. We gotta get down to business and start working on that next generation of Y&R. Y&R. Ooh, we had lots of new intros in this week's opening credits. It was kind of this yo the younger generation, honestly. It was, um... Kyle got his new intro, finally. We got Kyle, uh, Summer, Theo, Amanda, and Nate and Elena. Ooh, they were, well, what do you think? What do you think? Who was the best? Who was the best? Who was the worst? Which ones were you feeling? I want to say I think that Amanda was the best. I just wish she didn't have the bangs. I wish they would have got her, filmed her intro with the hair that she has now and not the severe short bang look. That just never worked for me. It just didn't feel right for her face. But I thought she looked great. She was giving sexy siren boobs and face. Honestly, she knows how to do it. She's classic. She just belongs on soaps, doesn't she? Michelle Morgan just belongs here. So she would be my best. Who would be my worst? I did not think that Theo looked all that great. Theo needed another take. <laughs> 
he just didn't look like Theo to me. I would have rather have seen him just kind of go straight-faced and maybe give an eyebrow like he was up to something. You know, because his character is so complex. I feel like the intro of him just giving a big old cheesy smile didn't really match the character. In general, I feel like this newer generation of actors all wanted to be very smiley and very happy for their big moment, for their big, dare I say, historic moment where they have been added to the Young and the Restless opening credits. I mean, that's a big deal, getting filming for your opening credit. I mean, I'm sure they were all so very excited. I just kind of wish that more of them would have taken a page, like, from the old school book of Y&R, like how Marla Adams did it, for instance. I mean, she, she, you know, she, she, Marla Adams gave face. <laughs> she wasn't all teethy smiles. She gave a dramatic look. <laughs> I say, skip the smile and give me the drama. That's what I'm looking for. My, uh, <laughs> I feel like I am. I'm so critical of this because I'm always thinking about what my YNR intro credit would look like. My YNR opening credit sequence. Sequence would be all eyebrow. <laughs> there would not be a smile. It would be a it would be a it would be a dramatic face and eyebrow raise, maybe a hair blowing. <laughs> I will give credit to Sasha Kale Lola. I think she did it right because she also did a turnaround into the camera. She's kind of flying in at you. <laughs> That just takes me back to those original, or not, sorry, not original, my original YNR opening credits where it was the white background and then I think everybody was in black and white, but they were all like turning around and flying in at you. Like, I want my stars to fly, turn around and fly in at me. (laughs) With drama face, not just cheesy, like, school photos smile. This is not the school photos. This is Young and the Restless. Drama is required. <laughs> oh, I think you should think about this week. I think I've said this before, but I think we should all make an effort to think a little bit more about what our opening credit would look like on YNR. Just give it a little thought this week. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, thing is, I think the most important and most significant change to the new intros is. The no more Mariah in every single one. (laughs) I think the Mariah in every single intro is going to very soon become a long lost memory of 2019. What is wrong with me these days? I seem to be suddenly incapable of picking who said it quotes, but everybody won't guess. You know what it is, is I always realize that I'm picking quotes from the same people, and some of the characters just get choice lines, and some don't, and so I'm kind of forcing myself to tune in to things that that are not, like, from the same several people, and maybe those quotes are just more noticeable. I last week said to myself, I need to get something that chance said, and so the quote from last week was, you hear what curiosity did to the cat? <laughs> 
<laughs> Which Chance uh, said to Phyllis right after she was eavesdropping on his conversation. He said, you hear what curiosity did to the cat? And absolutely, nearly, not absolutely, but nearly everybody guessed this. <laughs> that it was Chance. Congratulations, Jamie, Daisy, Keisha, Henry, Tony, Julie, Ambreen, Kayleen, Nancy, Heather, Sandra, Leanne, Catalina, Anna, Sheila, Kamna, Tommy, Marianne V, Chris, Martha, and Diana. I, I feel like I probably picked another easy one, didn't I? Well, we'll find out. You'll let me. You know, I never know anymore. I, I'm just going to go back to the lines that hit me. No more trying to diversify. I'm just going for the lines that I like, and we'll see if you guys liked and noticed this line, too. Here it is. Watch out, everyone. She's radioactive. <laughs> That's fun. You had to see, you've had to have heard it, right? Watch out, everyone. She's radioactive. If you think you know who said it, then you should go over to yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if y'all get it right, then y'all get your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. Mm, forgive my southern accent. I'm from Illinois. <laughs> I am from Wisconsin, Illinois, Texas. <laughs> well, hey, tagging up about those uh, new opening credits, we had Michelle Stafford's brand new opening credit. And so we had a poll question from last week where I thought we would do a little temperature check on how we're all feeling about Michelle Stafford's kind of controversial recast uh, as Phyllis. So I tell you, the, the poll results were pretty strongly in Michelle's favor early in the week, but I'm not going to lie. There were a whole lot of unhappy whiner fans flooding to the internet to talk about Kyle and Lola, and I think some people were just just like dissatisfied in general. And I saw Michelle's numbers go way down after those Kyle and Lola episodes. <laughs> People just said, I'm angry about everything. So Michelle Stafford too. I hate YNR and I'm going to stop watching it. Oh, I know. I heard it all week. You know, if you're going to stop watching YNR, the thing to do would just be to stop. Not to find places where you could tell people that you're going to stop. That tells me that you're not really going to stop, are you? You just wanted to show up on our doorstep to tell us that you're going to stop, but you aren't really going to. I see through you! People who want to come to YR chat just tell me you're going to stop watching YR. I see through you! Knock it off. <laughs> I see through you, although you guys don't see it, because those comments come in through the website, I say delete. If all you gotta do, if all you have to offer me is all the ways you hate YNR, and you're gonna stop watching YNR, well then, guess what? <laughs> guess where you don't belong? The place where people love YNR. <laughs> I tangented, but I did say to myself, I need to just address that. It gets on my nerves. Like, here I am putting in 
20 hours a week into YNR. Please do not come to my doorstep. 20 hours a week just on YNR chat. Don't come to my doorstep and tell me you're going to stop watching it. <laughs> but you're welcome. I'm supposed to stop watching it and then just watch YNR chat. You could do that. <laughs> But that's not really what I want in my heart. In my heart, I want everybody to watch YNR. <sighs> well, <laughs> I wanted everybody to love Michelle Stafford as much as I did. Honestly, she got the majority excellent vote. Like, I asked you guys to rate her on a scale of terrible to excellent, and the majority of people, 41%, said they think she is excellent. I mean, it's so funny because the strongest votes were either excellent or terrible. 41% of you said excellent, 23% of you said terrible, and everything else was kind of in between, with third place being pretty good. So I'd say the majority of people most definitely were liking Michelle Stafford's version of Phyllis, but you certainly don't have to. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of reasons to not like her. Um, yeah, but well, let, let's start out here with kind of a, a, a sort of a neutral on the scale a comment about uh, Michelle Stafford. Zuperplex says, I gave Ms. Stafford a three. Not bad, but not great. Her interpretation of Phyllis is more sultry and seductive than Miss Tognoni's, but that can get old very fast. I think that Miss Tognoni brought me more depth, more nuance. To the character. Mm, oh, you know what? That's a really good point. That's a really good way to describe the two different versions. Michelle is more sexy. She is more sultry. She is more foxy. But Gina, her rendition of Phyllis was probably more uh, in-depth. It, it probably did have a lot more nuance to it. Time Pass says that Michelle Stafford's Phyllis is cartoonishly played. Another really interesting and good and apt description of Michelle Stafford. Cartoonishly played. I think that's really great. Because I think it's really true. Now, I happen to like that. I think that uh, Michelle Stafford is giving me a comedic, cartoonish uh, portrayal in a lot of places. But I, I, you know, I feel like maybe YNR hasn't given her as much um, of the, the dramatic material to play with. I mean, Michelle's big. She's always big. She is always over the top. It's almost a, more of a theater style of acting because she's filling up the room when maybe sometimes where she needs to be is right here in the camera lens. Um... That, you know, that one might be an interesting note for her. Here's a good comment from Ellen, who says, I think Michelle Stafford's an excellent actress. I gave her a four. However, I think she's still toning down her general hospital style of acting. YNR, for me, has always been the most grounded and relatable soap. It focuses on character more than plot. And I think Michelle has to bring a bit more nuance back to her acting after being in the heightened world of General Hospital with mobsters, drug lords, etc. Certain she, certainly she can do it all, given good writing. No doubt about that. Oh, oh, see, I love this because, first of all, that is 
totally why I'm drawn to YNR as opposed to General Hospital or, or you know, the other soaps, Days, well, any of the other soaps. YNR is, as you put it, the most grounded and relatable soap, more, focus, more focused on characters than plot. Yet, here we are getting into um, a new era of soaps, and we've sort of seen it within the last couple of years, where these guys want plot. You know, they want what's going to keep you watching that day, that week. They want the shocker. They want the twist. They they know you're not going to wait around for a couple weeks to find out about something, or they're afraid of that, at least. And so I do think that the, the writers more uh, of late have been kind of plot focused and they have let some of those the the nuances of our characters slip away a little bit and uh, so this is a, a really interesting point that Michelle you know she came from an era of YNR where it was still very kind of it was a little bit more big like if you think about Phyllis when she first came on the show Michelle's first iteration of Phyllis it was kind of it was villainy and over the top and, and maybe also cartoonish but you know I mean it, it wasn't it was wasn't real subtle. I mean, I, the, the the no one's ever used the word subtle <laughs> to describe Michelle Stafford. Whereas, by the way, you know, to Zuperplex's point, that's so much more of Gina Tognoni's style. But yeah, I think you may be hitting on something, Ellen, here, in, in that you know Michelle spent these years away from YNR on General Hospital, where it's a little, little bit more of a fan, it's a little bit more fantasy. Um, uh, whereas now she's coming back onto YNR and maybe some or, you know, majority of viewers are kind of really liking those character details and those nuances. And, uh, yeah, maybe, um, maybe the reason why Michelle is so divisive is, is for exactly that reason. Friday in Canada says, I was expecting to dislike her strongly. I was so, so wrong. She is fantastic, and I look forward to her scenes every day. She puts so much nuance into everything she does. Sipping a drink, entering a room, making little faces. It's clear that she absolutely loves being Phyllis and puts her all into the role. Oh, you know what? Maybe Michelle's nuance is just a different type of nuance, because no doubt about it. I mean, she, Michelle is so present, she, like you said, it's like even taking a drink. <laughs> Everything she does, there is intent there. You know, there is thought there. Um, and maybe that's just sort of a different uh, edge of the, the nuance blade, you know? Mm. But it's, it's just, you gotta admit, she is so divisive. See, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I do have to appreciate her, because I like anything and everything that gets us talking about uh, Y&R, whether it is a plot or a character or whatever, and Michelle just brings me the drama. I, I have to admit, I gave her a five. But you knew I would. Ah, uh, Jamie says, the crimson light scenes between Phyllis and Sharon, right after Sharon's cancer reveal, got me right in the feelers. I love the dynamic between these women. Yeah, Michelle's um, Phyllis and and Sharon's Sharon is a really, really great dynamic, and I hope we're going to get more of it. Well, let's talk about Sharon. Anna says, when Friday's show started, I thought to myself, this is so cheesy, I can't even stand it. I felt like they would have been better served to the, to the cancer storyline with Sharon if they had had flashbacks of her and her kids. 
well, I have to tell you, the last five minutes, I was crying like a baby. I was so happy that they all got together for the breakfast and so touched when her and her girls were sleeping in the same bed. I am still crying. And I finished watching the episode about five minutes ago. Um, Those last minutes were worth it for me. And I'm glad that I hung in there. Yes, I know. I would, I, um, I, you know, if, if I had to accuse it of being cheesy at any point, I, the, the, when Nick and Faith kind of trounced in through the door, I was like, okay, well, here we are at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Like, <laughs> everybody's coming, it's, there's no place like home. Um, if, if there was anywhere where I thought it was a little bit cheesy, I suppose it was there. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, everything else about the episode I really quite liked, and I, w- I didn't expect to cry, but I did. I mean, you know, any of these nightmare sequences where you're you're taken out of the normal timeline of the story and you're popped into some kind of alternate uh, reality of the of what you see as the current story. It's it, it's risky. Um, if I had to say anything else was cheesy, the GC Buzz part maybe was my least favorite part of that. I was also really thrown off by the fact that Mariah had her cards upside down the entire time. She was the host of GC Buzz and she was holding those G. GC Buzz branded cards, and she was holding them upside down, and I was like, come on, Mariah, get it together. <laughs> or whoever was filming that scene, get that together, please. That part was a little distracting, but oh well. They could have zoomed in on it or something. Did anybody else notice that, or was it just me? Overall, the episode was a thumbs up from me. I think it's a thumbs up from Ellen too. Ellen says, "I never get choked. I, I never get choked up about YNR, but that last shot of Sharon and her girls asleep together gave me a huge lump in my throat. That was something. It must have been very lonely. Um, to it must be very lonely to face a cancer diagnosis, even if the prognosis is good. And that really came through today." Oh, you know, um, I was thinking that, too. Sharon had that line of saying, you know, I, I, what did she say? She said, I've never felt so isolated as when I learned that I had cancer. And that really rang as true to me. Oh, this is an interesting comment from Terry, who says, I was disappointed that they forgot about her port. It was such a big deal with Phyllis seeing it. And they really dropped the ball on that. Terry, I never would have noticed that unless you said it, but you are absolutely right. Sharon got her port installed last week. They made a whole thing about it. And then it wasn't present at all in this special episode on Friday. It was not present when she was still awake and in her bed and in her nightwear. Um, But uh, it wasn't present in the nightmare either. So there's no port being visible. I wonder why they didn't do it. Why didn't they at least do a a bandage or something? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Huh. Details, details. Oh, well, let's, uh, let's switch on over to talking about Billy and Victoria, shall we? Uh, Shakona says, Victoria is Victor's daughter. It is going to be a dirty custody battle. She will definitely hit below the belt. I hope she remembers how it felt when she lost custody of Reed. But then again, I doubt she will. Victoria can be very cold-hearted. I I guess I didn't fully even conceptualize it. So are we headed into a custody battle? Blah. Really? Is that it? 
Is it a custody battle? Yuck. It's not good. It's not interesting. It's not new. I don't want a custody battle. Mm, maybe especially because I just don't believe that Victor is the one behind all of this. That's another reason I don't believe Victor's going to be the one behind all of this. But, ugh, ugh, but you're probably right. Custody battle. They're already arguing about it. It's just not fun. I'll tell you what's fun. Chance and Abby are fun. And Brini says, the love scene with Chabby was on fire. <laughs> it was so cute. Who knew that that body uh, was hiding underneath that flannel? <laughs> yeah. Chance looked good. Uh, Chance's body looked good. He got a new haircut, too, last week that I forgot to mention. How dare I? How could I forget Chance's new haircut? He does look very good. He is some really good eye candy. I just connect some of my feelings about Chance into some of my mourning and sorrow about Kane, and maybe it's made it a little more difficult for me to connect in with him, but you're right. Getting the shirt off helps. <laughs> Oh, Sandra says, did you catch Esther in the mashup of Procter and Gamble products uh, for the, in the Super Bowl commercial? Well, you know, I did not watch <laughs> the Super Sports uh, show on last Sunday, but Jamie had sent me a screen cap of Esther in the Super Bowl commercial. Thank you, Jamie, because I never would have known or seen that otherwise. I didn't go and seek out the commercial, but I did see her there looking very... Look, Kate Linder was looking very Kate Lindery. <laughs> I will give it that. Oh, that's funny. I, I mean, it's, it's just, I love little Easter eggs like that. Like, you wouldn't expect to be watching the Super Bowl and then, boom, Esther. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't Esther. She was Kate, she was Kate Linder. There was no French maid uniform, although they haven't done that in years. <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about Mariah and Tessa. Diana says, I like Tanner. But he can certainly be a real Budinsky when it comes to Tessa and Mariah's privacy. Why did he have to insert himself into Tessa's conversation with Mariah when they were on the phone by showing his face? He, I, I think he is definitely going to cause a strain on Tessa and Mariah's relationship. Yes, Diana, I know. I have no doubt that Tanner is contributing to causing the strain in their relationship because every time Mariah sees his face, it's causing her to have more doubts. And I think that's going to cause Mariah to maybe do something that she wouldn't otherwise do. I mean, insecurity can be a motivator. And I think we might see Mariah stray a little bit. My question about Tanner is, is he doing it intentionally? Does he know what he's doing? Is he doing it on purpose? Is he trying to cause a strain there? I don't know. I don't know him well enough. Well, Sandra says, something is off. Mariah has been heartsick and desperately missing Tessa. She tells anyone she's talking to just how badly she misses her girlfriend. And then when Lola said, I think you have a missed call from Tessa, Mariah brushed it off quietly and said she'd call her back. Nope. Not buying it, Sandra says. You know, Everything on YNR is there for a reason. Call me crazy, but maybe the next love triangle is going to be between Mariah, Lola, 
Theo! I mean, really, Lola's best friend is Abby, and it would seem natural for Lola to be confiding in Abby and leaning on her instead of Mariah. You know, I know, that's interesting. Why not could have flipped that a different way, right? They could have had Mariah talking to Kyle and Abby talking to Lola. Hmm, but they did not do that. Well, you know Mariah's just going to scold Kyle. But it was weeks ago where um, Summer asked Mariah to talk to Kyle to save his marriage, uh-huh. And then Mariah never did it. But she, it's interesting how she's very, very there for Lola. Uh, I took, yeah, I took the um, the phone call that Mariah turned down from Tessa. I definitely took that as a oh, this is how much Lola means to Mariah. Uh, as a moment, I hadn't really thought about it potentially opening up a new triangle. But you got to admit that the the rivalry between Mariah and Theo is certainly being established. Maybe Lindsay's the red herring. It is possible. I just can't believe we are already on to new triangles. Gary says, Kyle's surprising kitchen confession to Lola that ends their marriage for now was quite startling. But I think that Josh G can make it work by painting the previously lovesick Kyle as fickle for love. It kind of suits him. Some of us are calling Lola and Kyle a true love, but the opposition points up how these two have been sparring and squabbling since they first met and were never a proper fit. Ellen has commented on how Summer and Kyle, two entitled, self-centered rich kid brats, are much better suited to wallow in each other. And that's a point. Oh, I know, I know. But I mean, YNR can't give us a big old grand wedding. Probably the grandest wedding that we've had. The only wedding that wasn't in somebody's house or a hotel. I mean, they gave us an outdoor summer wedding for them. There were bubbles, Gary. <laughs> Everyone was blowing bubbles. It was freaking magical. And I just can't move on that quickly. <laughs> I agree that Summer and Kyle have a lot in common, always had a lot in common, and I was sort of into it before he married Lola, but I mean, I guess call me traditional. I was I was thinking maybe there might be some steps to saving the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> After six whole months of strife, and frankly, it wasn't even that long. It's only been two to three months of strife. Summer was a non-issue for them before San Francisco. It was all Theo. Now, all of a sudden, Theo's not the problem. It was Summer. I'm not quite so confident as you are that Josh Griffith is going to pull this off, but maybe that's just because I'm seeing all the really angry comments about it. Astra says, I would have liked to have seen another guy sweep Summer off of her feet gradually, making Kyle jealous as he was making it work with Lola. I wanted Summer uh, to make Kyle work for it before they got back together, not just jump his bones five minutes after he decides to end things with Lola. Boom, Astra, thank you, yes, yes. Summer didn't work for it. Kyle didn't work for it. Another guy would have been a good strategy, uh, but it just, the thing, I don't know, Theo was the other guy, and he and Summer just got kind of contentious. Um, so there was just, I don't know. Ugh. Theo was the obstacle for Kyle and Lola without really, really being the obstacle. <sighs> T. Nicole says, So... Is Summer going to get hurt by Kyle all over again? 
I know he told her that he has feelings for her and that he never got over her, but he slept with Summer the night that he and Lola decided to get a divorce. If I were Summer, I don't think I would want to be intimate with the guy you're supposedly in love with the night that he just decided to get a divorce. They say the reason that Kyle and Lola broke up was because Summer is on Kyle's mind and heart, but Kyle loved Lola enough to marry her, and feelings like that don't just go away overnight. So if Summer's now with Kyle, will the same issue come up? That Kyle can't fully give himself to Summer because Lola will still have a piece of his heart and be on his mind? Or is the assumption that Kyle will just have no feelings for Lola now? This is the same issue <laughs> before as when Kyle was married to Summer and Lola was always the one on his mind. Ugh, Tina Cole. I mean, yeah. Um, amen. I can't add anything else to that except amen. <sighs> Brenda 08 speculates. I think the writers are going to make it seem like Kyle and Lola's relationship never happened. It's kind of hard to make the viewers forget a love story that everyone saw since September of 2018. Plus, Michael and Sasha cannot have any more scenes together if they're going to make Kyle and Summer work. Michael and Sasha had such great chemistry. That's what made them such a great couple. Mm. Mm -mm. See, I don't know. I don't think YNR is going to just sweep it under the rug. I don't think that they intend to try to make um, Kyle forget about Lola. I think this is just the next phase of the triangle. I think Lola's going to end up pregnant. And yes, I know it's trite uh, to just assume a soap opera pregnancy. But I just I just think so. I mean, Kyle and Lola were like mm, about family and house and all that. <sighs> I just wonder. Somebody's got to end up pregnant. It is a soap. <laughs> and we haven't had any babies. And we know they cast those twins. <sighs> There's no way they're just going to sweep it under the rug. It's just going to be more Kyle feeling torn. Well, I could watch Bold and the Beautiful for that. Ugh. <sighs> Kamna has another perspective here. Kamna says, okay, I know I put this theory out there before, but after today, I really do think that Theo is in love with Summer, not Lola. There was something about his energy when he was talking with Summer in the coffee house. Oh, what a mess of a storyline. But it's so good and so well acted by these young actors, who I was delighted to see in those intros. You know, Kamna, I, I'm keeping that in the back of my mind, too. Because, it, it, yeah, I mean, Theo didn't seem to want to tell Summer whether or not he actually had feelings for Lola. And then, you know, rather than glomming onto Lola, he did go back to Kyle's office and he sat in the seat. And it, it really put into question where Theo's mind is at. I mean, everybody else has their cards on the table. Kyle put his cards on the table. Summer has put her cards on the table. Lola, too, even now. Theo's the only one who we don't really fully know. Uh, he hasn't really fully stated his claim out loud. So I'll be looking forward to that, finding out what it is. Daisy says, it's amazing how Lola and Kyle decided not to be together after a few minutes of conversation, not even longer talk or trying therapy. <laughs> But maybe now we'll see Theo's real agenda surface. And I don't think it's his love of Lola. I think it's his hatred of Kyle. A great twist would be that Theo and Kyle had been switched at birth. And Theo wanted to get revenge on Kyle for stealing his life. A better great twist, though, would be that Theo turns out to be Victor's son. And that would make an interesting storyline. And Tyler Johnson does resemble Eric Braden to me. Mmm... 
I'm sorry, but good lord, they didn't do therapy. They barely talked. It was just over. And that point cannot be glossed over. I like the idea of the twist. There's like so many other really cool things YNR could have done. They just, you know what it is, is they just decided that this is the new direction and they don't take any time to get there. They did the same thing when Josh Griffith first took over. They just went, mm, never mind, this is the direction now. Get into it. Get on board with it. It doesn't matter what you were viewing before. Just get there now. Well, okay, but don't think you're not going to get any backlash from it. Josh and crew. <laughs> Leslie says, has the show been secretly canceled or something? The way the writing has been with the latest regime, it reminds me of the final season of shows, where everything that many fans rooted for comes true, and then it's wrapped up quickly with a bow. Oh, no, Leslie, no. This is the style. YNR has not been canceled. It has, in fact, been renewed for four years. Yes, four more years of Y&R. I mean, Josh Griffith will see this, no doubt, as a feather in his cap. And from a purely executive standpoint, I don't think it matters, uh, you know, what, how much the, the fans do or don't like individual stories or plot twists or characters. I don't think they care what we really want or really respond to. It is all about the ratings. It is all about the numbers. Either people are watching this show and CBS is selling advertising or they're not. That is what drives whether or not Weiner sticks around. So if YNR just got a four-year renewal, then that means that Josh Griffith can just pat himself on the back and carry on. <laughs> he can carry on in his style, do whatever he wants, whether or not us old-school viewers respond to his style or not. And you know what? At the end of the day, this old-school viewer would rather be all riled up about YNR than to have no YNR at all. Okay, everybody. <laughs> I got it out. Now it's time for you to get it out. YRChat.com. Go to that website. Leave me your comments. Come back next Sunday. And we will complain or laugh or scream or whatever. We'll do it all over again. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Good, bad, and ugly. We're here for it. That's all I'm looking for. That's what I'm here for, and that's what I'm hoping that you guys are here for, too. Okay. I love you guys. I hope you have a good week of watching and a good week of everything. Love ya. Bye, y'all!